to ground ourselves in the fact that we are not our work. We are not our jobs. You can find a different way to create your desired impact on the world. And like, let's work together to figure that out. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast brought to you by Second Day. My name is Maria Mathien, and every other week I'm sitting down with people who are building careers working on our community's biggest challenges. And we're using this space to not only prove that it is possible to build a career that allows you to do good for the world and do well for yourself, but to also demystify how to make that happen for social impact job seekers out there. This week, I am really excited to be sitting down with Kenny Andajeski. He is a second day facilitator, a longtime friend of second days, and his career is that he is a community builder. So what that means is that since 2014, he's been working with over 40 different organizations, ranging from venture-backed startups to large foundations to small nonprofits and grassroots organizations, and helping them develop strategies and create and improve practices towards making more of an impact on their core stakeholders and the broader community. So that can look like a lot of different things. It can be experience design, it can be ecosystem development, it can be facilitation, it can be storytelling, but he has done a huge range of work related to creating spaces for people to connect, to share their stories, to feel seen, to learn from one another. He is curiously committed to better understanding everything that unites, divides, compels us to participate in the social experiment called life. So he really sees the world through that entrepreneurial lens that focuses on connecting people to ideas, resources, places to one another and fostering community to effectively address the inequities, the challenges and the opportunities of our time. He has done this through community building and physical and digital spaces. He has visited all 50 states, which is very cool. Some of them he's been to multiple times. He's been to over 30 countries across six continents because he's self-employed, which we're going to talk a lot about. He's been able to live and establish himself across the world, kind of wherever he wants, which is very cool. And he's a former athlete. Uh, He studied sociology and environmental studies from Beloit College in Wisconsin. Kenny has a lot of really interesting experience around community building, entrepreneurship, um, has a really unique window into the social impact space, having been a consultant for so many different types of organizations. So very excited to jump into this conversation. Kenny, thank you so much for for taking the time to be here. I know that you do a lot and you have to talk to me probably far more frequently than you want to. But uh, so thank you for taking another hour of your life to chat with me about career stuff. Of course, of course. No, I'm really grateful to be here and to to have this conversation with you, Miriam. Yeah. So I guess let's do an easy level set. We just went through your intro, but um, I'd love to hear sort of in your own words, what is it that you do? It's like you've built a really interesting career path for yourself. So I'd love to hear when you give your spiel to people of like, here's what I do for a living. What do you say? Yeah, I think my my best, most concise elevator pitch at this point is that I'm a strategist, facilitator, and consultant that helps organizations, groups, and movements build community. So it feels like that's a good place to start. And there's plenty of chunks to, to bite into and jump off from. And that's usually how I begin a conversation when I'm talking about what I do professionally. Yeah. And it's interesting. One of the themes that we've noticed, even with our own students, is that people often ask, how do I explain my interests or my career passions to my parents, to my relatives, to my friends? You know, it's not always an easy thing to explain sort of your your passions or what you're driven to do if it doesn't fall into a certain like clean bucket. I imagine that's something that you deal with. So 
how, yeah. How do you deal with that? When you tell people that, that elevator pitch, like what is the reaction? Like, what do people think? Yeah. It's, it's honestly been a, a real lesson in social intelligence and just like understanding the people I'm interacting with and from interaction to interaction and being like, what level of competency or relevancy might you have to the words I'm saying? And I've become very self-aware of it because I realize that often when I'm giving my elevator pitch, I end up at this point where I'm like, and buzzword, 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 jargon, 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 because it's so easy to just over-explain something and over-explain like what you, what you do professionally that I always end up having to cut myself off at a certain point. But in terms of like describing what I do to people that might not have any context, you know, it's my entry points are often like I'm self-employed. And then you're able to build a conversation from there. Or even I had an interaction with my dad earlier this year and we don't have the strongest relationship. He doesn't know what I do professionally. And I explained it to him and his feedback to me was like, oh, so you help organizations run meetings. And I'm like, uh, sure. Like, yeah, that's, that's a thing that I do. That's a part of it. Yeah, we, we can go with that. That's one of 50 things that I, I do, but sure. Uh, that's the one we can, we can land on. No, I think, and especially when you are really passionate about the work that you do, it is so tempting to get deep into the nuance and talk about all the elements that you're really excited about. But I totally agree, especially if you are early in your career and you might feel some pressure to explain yourselves. And there is a certain point at which you don't owe someone an explanation. Um, so you also need to like set your own boundaries on how much you like feel the need or like want to explain yourself. But I think this is totally right. As you get older, you get better at kind of reading the room, reading a person and figuring out, okay, how can I explain this to them in a way that they can relate to as quickly as possible? My explanation for second day varies entirely based on who I am talking to in that moment, which is really it's an unconscious thing. It's not like I have a strategy or like a doc sitting somewhere of like, oh, if they do this, then you say that. Like, but it absolutely, it totally happens. That's really interesting. Yeah. The whole decision matrix of like, when they mention that they know this, then I go to that square. And then from there we have three options and yeah, <laughs> it's actually, this is bringing to mind for me, maybe like this goes into the realm of networking, but because that's often when you're giving like an elevator pitch or explaining who you are and what you do professionally. And I try to get to a point of like acute problem solving as soon as possible when I'm describing what I do, or I'm like, I could talk about this all day and just explain it and use again, all those like buzzwords and jargon, but like, let's talk about an issue that seems relevant that you work on or something that like is a shared interest of ours. And let's actually go through that prototyping or that like brainstorming of how I approach working on different things. Um, and I've found that that's the best way to not only explain, but to demonstrate what I do and to start to develop those connections and, and shared understanding of like, oh, this is how we can work together. Yeah. I mean, I love that you bring up networking because I think, especially if you are again, earlier in your career, often you hear networking and you think of a really fake or salesy or transactional type of interaction with someone. And I do think that it can be built on actual connections. There can be a strategy behind the way that you're building that connection, certainly, but it doesn't have to be this like really stilted conversation. And the most successful networking opportunities are often when you are offering to make a connection or make an introduction or, you know, whatever the case might be. So we can definitely talk about that more, but I, I want to kind of stay in the space of you love making connections and you clearly love community. And that has been a pretty consistent theme in your career. Obviously I did some backstocking of your LinkedIn, which is very thorough. And I would see terms like, facilitator and leadership development and mentorship and 
you know, outreach and sort of, there's a theme I could see over the past, like 10 plus years of your career. Did that happen on purpose? Like talk to me about how that theme sort of emerged so clearly. Um, was it by design or did you sort of stumble into it? I think in hindsight, it was very much by design. Like, I don't know if I could have gone anywhere else, like in any other direction, but I think there's a certain aspect of you need to be a few steps down the path before you realize what journey you're on. Like, I definitely have gone through this in recent years where I'm like standing on, I just stop for a moment, I pause and reflect and, and I just look back and I'm like, that's what I did. And then I look forward, I'm like, that's how that can inform what I'm doing going forward. And then I can start to create that through line and kind of create that narrative of like, yeah, of course I did those things professionally because now I'm doing this now and we'll do that in the future. Um, but I think very early on, it was, it was driven by a number of circumstances. I think one and kind of fundamentally, like I, like I was the person in junior high who tried to figure out how social strata and relevance and popularity worked. And I tried to like game it. And like, I was like, I have to do these things to become popular. So very much early on, I was already trying to understand like demographics and, and, and social dynamics and sociocultural dynamics. And so like that has always informed me growing up. And then I had, I played a lot of sports growing up. And so I understood groups and working towards a common goal and, and find yourself alongside other people. So that was another aspect of like another cornerstone of my community aspect. And then I think my second day moment happened my senior year of high school where I ended up on alternative spring break trip and we did immersion on urban poverty and education in the Bronx. And I grew up in suburban Chicago. So it was like a whole new world for me. And at the same time, it introduced me to like nonprofits. And I was like, this nonprofit thing, that's interesting because you can help people. Like there was this epiphany of like a lot of the challenges that I faced individually, I could find those in other people and I could work with them to solve them. And I think that has always been a primary driver for me. And it just so happened that this vehicle of community has been the, the container and the best space to, to work with other people on solving problems or, or making other things possible. I love that because it is such a great example of sometimes the things that will shape our career are not like a certificate you got or the degree you got. I think being uh, reflective and self-aware of your interests, your strengths, your inclinations, even if it doesn't seem particularly obvious, right? Like being able to kind of see the social structure of your high school and be like, how do I navigate this? It's obviously not something you would ever put down on a, on a resume or a cover letter, like naturally, but obviously is a big part of who you are and how you see the world and you tapped into that. So I think as people often try and figure out where should I go, what do I do with my life? Looking in sort of unexpected places and really like sitting in that reflective space and thinking about, okay, where, where have I been most successful? Where have I been happiest? How do I problem solve? How do I relate to people can kind of really surface unusual and exciting ideas, right? It's not just, oh, I was an econ major, I have to be an economist. As you and I have seen, what you study often makes little to no difference what you will do specifically in your life, which is really interesting. Yeah, I think I think belief in like this structural kind of hierarchy where it's like the stepping stones actually gives you kind of tunnel vision and it cuts you off to the possibility of of how all your other experiences can relate. I have this distinct memory of in sixth grade and we had a middle school that went from sixth to eighth grade. Uh, like on the third day of school, I found the most attractive girl in our class and I like went and asked her on a date. I was like, I need to, that's something I need to do. So bold. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'd strategize around it. And like, at this point I was wearing like caught up, like zip off khaki green cargo pants. And like, I had the, the gelled up front, like all these things that like maybe are back in trend now, but I don't know. 
that only only ironically i think only ironically they've they've appropriated our middle school culture i is my current theory on gen z trends but that's the whole other rant (laughs) yeah that's not that's not this podcast that's the other one that we can maybe start one day who knows we'll be entrepreneurial but and she of course said no but that experience of like having the boldness and, and developing a strategy and being tactical about how I did it. Like I do a lot of community outreach and engagement today. I also do a lot of like, I reach out to important people in some of my work and I'm like, Hey, I think you sh- this would interest you and we should work together on this. And that's just a different application of the boldness I showed in sixth grade to like, to think to like the audacity to do that. Like that's all it is in reaching out today. So I think that's a direct application of something that was more innate for me or intuitive being applied professionally today. What is your opinion on this idea of like your work self and your like home self are, are different people? Are you like, should compartmentalize different versions of yourself for different spaces? Like curious to hear your, your take on that, particularly as someone who is self-employed. That's a lot. That question There's a lot contained within it. I think I'm fortunate enough, and this is one of those hidden blessings of the pandemic, if we can call them that, where the the pandemic forced me to stop and pause and reevaluate my relationship with work and myself. Because, you know, part of the reason, and I think enough of us end up in this space because we come from difficult backgrounds, whether it's around trauma and security or whatever it might be, but solving problems of the ills of the world is a great way to externalize it's like external therapy. It's like, you know, I can help this, even if I don't feel like I'm helped. Like there's that aspect of it that if we get to the psychology that drives some of us in this space, but uh, I very much have become the work and I would let it like affect my temperament and, you know, how I would show up in relationships and uh, whether or not I was even like considering self-care because it's like, I need to be doing the work. I need to be making a positive impact. I need to be supporting people. Like I can't, imagine not doing that right now, but I very much landed on the point, and this is to answer your question, like where I don't believe in the compartmentalization, but I do believe it's important to hold, to ground ourselves in the fact that we are not our work. We are not our jobs. Like I have had to like counsel friends to do this that have lost a job that they really cared about. And I'm like, you are not your job. Like you can find a different way to create your desired impact on the world. And like, let's work together to figure that out. Like you don't, you don't need to, it's important to process and to get there's grief involved, but you don't need to like rest on the fact that you've lost a part of yourself. And so that's where I find the balance. Cause I think part of being self-employed is that I do set my own schedule and I'm ultimately accountable to myself and there's things that just need to get done. And I do them sometimes at two in the morning or I do them on a, a Saturday at 9am or, you know, whenever, whenever the inspiration or the opportunity or the, the dots are connected. But yeah, I think that would be how I approach that question. Anyway. Yeah. And I, I ask it because when we, as we build careers that really reflect our personalities and our value systems and all of those things, it does get really entangled, right? Like you said, like our sense of self gets more and more tied to our jobs. And so being able to, like you said, set boundaries and like, no, you are not your job. Even if you've put so much of your heart and soul into it, it's, it's a really complex relationship. I think, especially if you work in social impact, especially if you're self-employed, you know, I think if you're someone who let's say you take a job that has nothing to do with your interests, nothing to do with your passions, I can see kind of being able to clock in and out. But for a lot of us who are listening to this podcast, 
it's not so simple. So that's, that's sort of why that question pops into my head, but you mentioned a lot of the benefits of being self-employed and sort of having a lot of control over your, or your own schedule and life and boundaries and things like that. So how did you start freelancing? How did you get into the self-employment world? What did that look like? <laughs> so I did it twice. The first time was not intentional. The second time was more intentional. The first time uh, I was 23, 24, and I had just experienced a, a significant life setback. And that's a whole nother conversation. But essentially, my life fell apart in a moment. And I needed to just like, and I had just done an AmeriCorps year. So I literally could, I had three to four digits of money in my, uh, my bank account kind of thing. And so I very much needed to desperately figure out what I was going to do. So I started picking up contracts and finding opportunities, scouring Craigslist and idealists and just like building from nothing to find work and relationships. And that got me back on my feet. And then from there, I went back into more formal employment. And then two years later, I got a contract off of idealists, like a month long contract. And I was like, wait, you just hired me because I'm qualified for this. Like you, I, you found me as the person who can solve this problem for you. That's interesting. Can I do that more? Like, can I replicate that kind of engagement? So I think that was the the spark for me. And I already knew I could because I had that first experience of just like figuring it out and kind of surviving with it. And so the second time around, I was able to be more strategic and I was able to be like, that's a great relationship working on a problem. If they can find resources, I can work with them on it. Or sometimes I'll work with them on it and hopefully we can find resources as we go. So I think those are, that's, that's where I got into my current phase of self-employment, which has lasted more or less for five or six years. That's amazing. And I am putting myself in the shoes of maybe a college student who's listening to this and their immediate thought hearing that story is, oh, but I have no skills to pitch myself with right now. Like I, why would anybody want to hire me? So what do you say to someone like that? Someone who feels like I have nothing to offer, like no one would give me any kind of contract position. What, how did, I guess, how did you position yourself? And what would you say to someone who feels like I have nothing to offer? I think one is the old sentiment of like, fake it till you make it. And another sentiment is that I, I probably identify as a generalist at the end of the day where I have aptitude and enough things to say that, sure, I can do that or to work with someone and be like, well, I probably can apply myself that way and not that way. If you if that works for you, then let's work together on this. It starts with the conversations and it starts with the relationships and identifying the problems like there's a process that you go through. And I think there's there's two ways of if you have a tangible skill, like being a graphic designer, that's, you know, that's one of the most direct ways to become self-employed. Just like I can bill out for the hours and like this widget, this product costs X to create. And then you build a business model through that. On the other side, I think there's the generalists or the strategists or the consultants that are just like, yeah, I have a general acumen or knowledge base and I can work with you on this. And that's the route I've taken, but it really is a cumulative thing. It's conversations, it's learning, it's figuring out how to apply your learning. Yeah, it's just setting the intention and having that practice. And it, one of my favorite things about being self-employed in, in this way is that seeds I've planted in the past have come, like they grow at unexpected times. I got an email yesterday from someone being like, how much do you bail out for an hour for strategy? And he's someone that I'm working adjacent to with a project right now. And I gave him a rate and you know, then we're going to have a meeting next week. And I even think the way I came to work with Second Day is a great example where you all had a posting on Idealists and I reached out and Phil and I had a conversation and we were like, you know, it doesn't make sense to work together right now, but 
uh, you can become a mentor and then maybe in the future there's there's an opportunity and now I'm facilitating. So there's so many threads and so much that I just threw out there. I don't know what we want to grab onto. No, I mean, I the things that I pull out are one, you do probably have skills. Like it take the time to sort of inventory what you have done and it can be something really specific, right? Like graphic designer, but maybe you're someone who knows Instagram analytics. Maybe you're someone who is a strong writer or researcher. You can kind of grab onto those sorts of things. And then to your other point, uh, talking to people, understanding what is the need that is out there. You know, if, for example, let's say you've done a lot of like academic research in school. Um, there's probably somewhere out there who like a grant writer who needs some extra research help, right? Even small things like that make a difference, but you won't know until you start talking to people and understanding what is the need that is out there. So thinking about the network that you already have and just keep building on it, building on it, keeping relationships up. Like you said, even we, we see it at second day all the time. It is really cumulative things that I had done two years ago, like you said, similarly pay off now, but the, the skill set that you have, right? Like graphic designer is like you said, really concrete uh, things like that. Community builder is not as, you know, like a specific metric that you can point to um, and say, this is how I, I built that. Um, maybe there is, I'd love to hear sort of from you, like, what does it mean to pitch yourself as a community builder? Did you kind of develop that in response to a certain need that you were seeing, or did you kind of lead with that and see how people responded? Gosh, I think when it comes to community building, that really gets into like my theory of change. I think there's, especially in the digital age, there isn't a connectivity, especially in our inherited segregation and stratified societal structures exacerbated by social media and the digital age. Like there just isn't enough spaces where we know each other and we connect with each other across difference towards towards shared outcome. And I think that's where this, this tribal mentality and like us and them and the othering and uh, these false binaries, like, I don't know, I could, I could go off on this topic, but for me, community building is doing what I can to create space for people to know each other and connect and, and work on addressing common problems. And there is no shortage of need for that. And that's why it's become like a, a value or a business proposition for me. Do you find that there are people or like potential clients who are more committed to this idea of community than others. And I, I ask because when I think about someone who's trying to identify like a social impact organization that like truly believes in the mission of the work and like you're going to show up and you know that people are actually like seeing the problem in a way that aligns with how you see that problem, or at least like are problem solving in a way that is more rooted in justice over charity. I'm trying to figure out how you can discern that coming from the outside, right? And so similarly, when you're working with clients or trying to find uh, people who potentially would pay you for your, for your time to work on this. How do you discern who's really committed to this, who are really trying to commit time and money and, you know, creating these spaces? Like, how do you navigate that and trying to kind of create this slightly inelegant proxy of like someone looking for a job and trying to find a place to work that also like is really committed to the work in the way that they want? The most poignant thing to share that comes to mind for me is the fact that like I've had contracts terminated. And I've terminated them. Like I've been fired as a contractor and consultant because we haven't had that alignment or fit. Like where we've gotten into the work and we've just fundamentally like misaligned on it. And like, it's not at the end of the day, especially with time as, as a remedy, like it isn't personal necessarily. It isn't like I'm, I don't resent anyone for it. And I don't, I don't think there's bad feelings between felt between, but it's, really important. And the biggest learning for me is like how important it is to be aligned with the people you're working with, to have that common or aligned or adjacent theory of change 
because you could say you want the same thing, but if your if your means towards doing it are different, then it's going to lead to a lot of conflict that probably won't allow for a conducive or healthy or or amiable work environment. So I I think it's important early career. Like I only know this because early in my career I was able to work on a bunch of different apply myself in a bunch of different ways and figure out okay I really care about working on these issues. These these other issues don't really align with me that much. I'm not that passionate about them. And then that next layer is now I just care about who I'm working with. And if like in those initial conversations or in the way we approach the work, if the alignment isn't there, like that's when I make the decision to to not pursue that. Yeah, I mean, in the way that you can turn away clients, I think people should also remember they can turn down jobs. They can leave jobs. You are not, I mean, have a plan, do it thoughtfully. You are obviously in a position where you are able to kind of decide, like, I'm going to step back from this. Like, I, this is, I don't need this to survive and pay my bills. I have someone else I can go to, but people should know, like, that is, that is something you can do. And also, you know, coming back to this idea of just conversation, asking questions, like really getting a read on an organization, on a community, talk to people who are there, right? So some tactical advice I give people all the time, if they're like, I'm trying to figure out if this organization is like actually committed to the work or they keep talking about their DEI like initiatives, but I don't really know if they're doing stuff. Talk to people who are inside, right? Reach out to someone on LinkedIn, talk to somebody who's worked there. Finding alignment is critical. And I think that that's, it's okay to, like you said, walk away. So obviously you were, like I said, you're in a position now where you can walk away from things, which is amazing. So talk to me a little bit more about the business side, right? So let's say someone's interested in self-employment. They're like, I don't know how to set prices. I don't know how to find clients. I don't know how to like do any of the operation stuff. How did you learn? How did you figure it out and continue to figure it out? I'm sure. Oh my gosh. Constant failure. Not to leave it at that surface level cliche, but like I have done it wrong. Like I've done it wrong so many times. And then once you do it wrong, you're like, I need to do it differently. Like there's that progress and perfection relationship, but it's also the mentorship of just like finding this. I wanted to say this before I even got into any of the advice things like pre-advice before even considering any advice. Pre-advice is that very often people speak from their own experiences and they're projecting onto you what they think you should know when they give you advice. So if you're going to take advice from someone that is supposed to be relevant to you, make sure that person has a similar career trajectory or has a perspective or identity or experience that is related to you. Like you should find advice that's relevant to you, not just think that advice is universal. So I just wanted to add that disclaimer. But I think there's been there's been the mentorship of finding people who have done it. Big part of my philosophy in building this, building my business up and building up this ecosystem of people who I work with is I will always offer my time. Like I feel as though time is a resource that I have plenty of. I like to give that willingly. And as a result of that, there's a reciprocity that is practiced with people that I, I collaborate with. So in figuring out how to be self-employed, how to live as a business, how to work as a business, there's people who know how to do things that I don't. And I figure out how to work with them on that and how to learn from them or how to figure out my own solution looking at their approach. So I dance around a little bit there, but I would really say that I've done this all the wrong way and getting to this point. And that's not something to be ashamed of because I made it here, but it has given me a lot of, of wisdom and learning in the process. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is people often feel either embarrassed to ask for help, or they feel like they don't want to be an inconvenience. That's such a common feeling that mm -hmm. I hear from people. But what's important to remember is that people really want to pay it forward because the person you're going to ask this question to someone like, 
five years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago, whatever it is, and someone helped them out. And so there is this, it's very rare that I find someone who just doesn't want to be helpful. I think it's one of the really cool things, particularly when you're all passionate about the same stuff, whether it's entrepreneurship, a particular area of social impact, even if you're, you know, working in some random tech space that I know nothing about. If you find someone who is also passionate about that thing, knows the struggle and has gone through it themselves, people are largely willing to help. And I think it's about building, that's where authentic friendships and authentic relationships come in. Because if you are treating it as if a friend, a mentor, a peer is uh, there working with you, supporting you, it really changes the dynamic and suddenly you feel a lot less self-conscious asking things and and going to people uh, with questions and making yourself available to them in the future as well. You don't know in five years, they might need something from you too. So that's kind of the really, the cool thing about mentor relationships is people have a certain impression of what it means to have a mentor. um, And it's actually, it can be a really genuine, rewarding two-way relationship. It should be absolutely a two-way relationship, which is something I try and remind people all the time. Yeah. I think a, a good mentor is someone that you can be real with, like that, that goes both ways where they can be real with you being like, yeah, I might be a leader of this organization responsible for whatever budget or people or impact, but like, I'm tired or, you know, like this, part, this is, this aspect of the job is difficult and people probably won't tell you that because there's a pride or an ego or, but those are prop, those are, I think, really effective mentor relationships. And I think on a separate note, this actually brings me back to like the, the first question in terms of how do I describe what I do? And those elevator pitches and that networking, that connection, that problem solving, like all of that leads to these relationships that facilitate mentoring, that facilitate collaboration and new projects. Like it's, it's amazing to be at the point where I have friends just being like, I have a pot of money and I want you to be part of one of the people that gets some of that money. Like that's, that's where I I've gotten to where most of my work comes from referral rather than applying for it. And it's, it's a real magical place to be. Because you're just like, it, it's one of those mountaintop moments where you're like, you've been climbing, you haven't had a viewpoint and then you get there and you're like, oh, this is, this is what I was trudging through to get to. Like me and all of my peers have kind of made it now. And to a certain extent, we've had reached the first plateau and now we can like advocate for each other. And we can, like, I have gotten people jobs, people have gotten me jobs. And that's, that's like such an integral part of the process. Like when we're advocating for people or like, I want this person to be a part of our team because they have a strong focus on racial equity or on gender equity, or like, those are the ways in which we still participate in the existing system of like referral and nepotism and who, you know, while making sure that it becomes a more equitable landscape for, for everyone to participate and become part of it. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it to what, what I take away from, from that is as you grow and as you build communities and build your professional network, being intentional with building a network of people that don't just look like you, who don't have the exact same skills as you, like building that kind of really powerful network where you can refer each other. And it doesn't go into that nepotistic space where it's just the same kind of type of person getting the same type of work over and over, but you're really helping empower one another. um, And you kind of are all drawing from a diverse friend group that has like not just diversity of experience, but diversity of skill set, diversity of connections. It's it can be a really powerful thing. And I think it's what have been one of my favorite parts of Second Day is being able to help build a particularly like our mentor network and our community of students who are all people who would not have known each other otherwise. And I got really excited thinking about five years from now when a second day student is like 
doing something really cool and uh, know someone who went to a school on the other side of the country, different major, different friend group, and they can make connections for one another. Like that is just the thing that gets me really pumped about what we've been building at Second Day itself. So I don't know. It's, it is really exciting to think about how we can all do that for one another. But I'm curious when you're thinking about community building, right? I think about a lot of what's happened in the last two years um, and how a lot of people are being very buzzwordy, being really performative, being really like, we want to create a space that is safe for everybody. Like a lot of promises being made. We've talked a little bit about like discerning between people really being there and not being there for the work. And I guess I'm just curious, like what advice do you have for people if they're also interested in community building as a career path? Like what are some of the watch items you would have for them? Yeah, I think the first thing I consider when talking about community and community building is like there's there's kind of two distinct realms of community as we're currently seeing it. One is the for-profit side and one is the purpose-driven side. And they aren't mutually exclusive, but they do kind of function in a different way where one is very growth-minded and the other is very like purpose or impact or outcome-minded. And I very much am in the purpose, impact, outcome-minded side. And how that kind of looks differently is I think on the for-profit growth side is it's a lot of customer service. I think on the other side in like the nonprofit or social sector or movement building side, it's much more community organizing and it's a lot more balancing different perspectives, which is again, as I said earlier, kind of why I got into this kind of work. And there's an interesting, if I follow the arc, if I try to like track an arc, I think in the mid 20 teens, there was this emphasis on like empathy and human centered design. And just like, you need to like understand where people are coming from. And then there's frankly, the, the tumultuous nature of like Trump becoming president and how that really jumbled things and exposed a lot of differences that were underlying a lot of the challenges we had in society. And then we reached this point of like, how do you support people? And then when we were supporting people, we went to this next phase of like, how do you love yourself? Because a lot of people have been overextending themselves, trying to care for one another. So we need to get this place of love and self-care. And then the pandemic happened and it's like, oh my gosh, like how do we even like maintain our sanity? But now we're at this point and this is, this is my perspective on it. And it's not held by everyone, but I think we're at this point where we, we risk dehumanizing each other and across difference. Like we identify someone that doesn't believe the same things that we are, that we do, or that doesn't share identity. We kind of discard them or we, we use language to, to make them make ourselves feel better than them or whatever that might be. And, but I do think when you look at community and the purpose of community professionals and facilitators and community builders, it's around creating spaces for belonging that create held space and safe space simultaneously, where it's prepared to provide safety for people who might have marginalized or, or oppressed or vulnerable identities. And at the same time, it's holding space. It's creating a container that everyone can be a part of. And that's the real challenge that, I've spent a lot of time on in the last year and a half. This has been professionally, this has been like one of the most successful years for me because there's just so much need and so many people are trying to figure out how to stay connected and how to create belonging and how to collaborate and how to disengage people across difference towards creating some kind of better outcome, saving our civil society or democracy or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think that's, that's where I would say people who wanted to be in the space of holding space and creating belonging for others. It's about create, yeah, I don't know. It's about being able to hold space that isn't about you and being able to hold space that like 
people are hurt and people are, are insecure and people want different things. Yeah. And I think a good to point out like the need and how to identify the need. If you look at social media and just how terrible comment threads are and the way that people engage with strangers on the internet is just such an indicator that we desperately need people to hold these spaces of connectivity and community and respect and belonging and all those kind of things. Yeah. And I, I don't think that need is going away anytime soon. I think we are in this place for a long time. So I applaud you for taking this on because I know that it also must be incredibly emotionally draining at times to be holding space, creating space. Cause like you said, you have to kind of, it's not for you, it's for others in that moment. So I would imagine a lot of your life is trying to create spaces where you can be yourself, where you can feel safe as well. So, you know, I hope that you continue to make time for that because that feels really important in your line of work. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. So sort of to close on some just like tactical advice. So let's say people are feeling really inspired by the stuff that we've talked about today. They are interested in either, you know, being self-employed or at least, uh, you know, dabbling in freelance what is some advice you have for someone who is generally interested in uh, entrepreneurship and then maybe specifically if they are interested in community building as a career path, like anything that you would throw out for people to, to think about things that they can start looking into doing even now? Yeah, I, I think to touch on the entrepreneurship point, seek out problems that you want to solve that aren't being effectively addressed and then start to scheme around how you would address them. And then you find the people to work on them with, the resources, the skills, and you figure out how to apply them, how to put them together and apply them in a way that can become a business or can become something that's fundable. That I think is the simplest approach to entrepreneurship and one that has worked for me going from more intuition to more like knowledge and wisdom. It's always about problem solving for me and just seeing the opportunity in every challenge and not, not in an opportunistic way, but seeing the opportunity to be the person to raise their hand to be like, hey, can I help? address this? Can I help solve this problem? I think in community building, like there's for, in, for self-employed people, there's this uh, challenge of like, how much free work do you do? You know, it's really easy to get taken advantage of early in your career for like experience or exposure. Um, yep. Yep. And I think with, with more technical skills, like you don't really need that much exposure experience. I think with community skills, unfortunately you kind of do. Like I have done a lot, a lot, a lot of free work. And I mean, it's values aligned for me because I don't do this to like become wealthy. Like I do this work because I see a lot of the other benefits and it actually supports a lot of other economic models of like reciprocity and social capital and knowledge capital and like the flow of those things. But it's important to set your own boundaries on what you're willing to do for free and why you would do that and what you need to be paid for. Like it's okay to say no. And if you're at a point where you're self-employed and I've had years where I've done it out of desperation as I did initially, like if you're at a point where you can't say no because you need that money, then you're probably not in a good position to be self-employed because you can't set appropriate boundaries and you're going to set yourself up. There's been many situations where I've agreed to do work and I haven't been paid enough to do that work. And then I'm like, but I have to pay rent, you know, and now I have to figure out other ways to pay rent and I'm not actually getting to the work that we agreed that I would do. And those are, were difficult lessons to learn early on because often it would result in me not doing the agreed upon work. And of course, the internalization of failure and all those kind of things. So I would say that like there's an incremental process to it where, you know, start to do the initial work that matters to you, make it so you're not dependent upon it, and then build from there once you've 
proven that you can do that work to yourself and to others. And then you can start to, you know, market that like, Hey, look, I did this and I can do that for you as well. So if I'm hearing you correctly, so your opinion of the kind of best way to do it is because I know what a lot of people are going to be concerned about is like, Oh, like I need to pay rent. Like if I'm self-employed, like what if I don't find enough clients and I can't pay my rent, but your take is to sort of baby step into it. Don't let it be your sole source of income. If you are not there yet and like kind of doing it in those incremental steps and where you're not completely dependent on it in the beginning is the thing that you've seen kind of work best um, for people. Is that sort of yeah. your, your take on it? Yeah. yeah I, and I would one, agree. That's sort of how I did it too. Yeah. The one difference is I would say if you have like a technical skill that you have clear value on, like you could probably make a business out of that to start. If you have a skill that you need to prove yourself in, that you need to have a body of work, that you need to be able to market effectively, then you want to build that body of work while not feeling desperate or yeah, because there's always opportunities to volunteer. There's always problems to address if you're going to like social entrepreneurship. When you look at the moment we're in with uh, the job market and probably the job market that a lot of our second day students are entering and this great resignation, uh, a lot of people are starting their own businesses right now because they're looking at the things that it can do. And it's maybe not their primary business, or maybe it's one of a few hustles that they have going on, but people are looking at the thing they can do. Every, I think each and every one of us has something that we can bottle and sell. And it's just a matter of figuring out what that is and clearly communicating it and then figuring out what the value of that is. Yeah, so. I, I agree. I think that is what is really exciting about, especially the times that we live in. I think our parents' generation was very much, you had one career, you had it for... 50 years, you retired, and that was sort of it. And it makes a lot of sense that that's the way the world worked. And I love seeing how many people are creating side hustles, are finding that thing that they can uniquely bottle that is very them. I would definitely reemphasize your point of like, find the, the problem that you want to solve. There is no shortage of problems, but if you are an entrepreneur, that is the thing that you were thinking about 12 hours a day, um, whether or not you were actively working on it, hopefully not 12 hours a day. Sometimes that happens, but ultimately like, it has to be the thing that you are willing to obsess a little bit about in a, in a healthy way, but you know, don't, don't take on something just cause it feels like, Oh, I'll make a lot of money here. You have to be really willing to throw yourself into it too. So just something for people to think about, I guess, do you have any final advice for people listening? Anything that you really want to make sure people keep in mind? Yeah. I think thing that comes to my mind off of just that last point we made is that as you're figuring out what you're bottling and selling, if we're going to carry that analogy through, it's really easy to get distracted and to have people come and give you opinions. I'm like, actually, you should do this. Actually, you should try to do that. Or you find new interests or you're like, I'm going to go do this Coursera course or should I learn to code now? And there's a push, there's a give and a take of that, of like, maybe you would be more passionate or more, or, you know, have more aptitude in the thing that you're being distracted by, or maybe you need to focus and really see something through. And I know this is a challenge that I have and there's so many unfinished projects that I have. I also want to be a writer. I also want to be a, a storyteller. I also want to whatever. Um, but those are the things I'm primarily doing right now. The things I've started put on the back burner, hopefully we'll return to. But it's important to just acknowledge that distractions will come and good to make a conscious choice of like, if this is the different path I want to go down or if I want to stay in the same, same one that I'm going on right now. I think that's general career advice too, especially when we don't stay at jobs longer than one or two years anymore. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this theme is really important. We've touched on it in so many ways, but you will get a lot of input, a lot of opinion. There'll be a lot of push and pull and you have to ultimately, yeah, one contextualize it from who it's coming from and the kind of 
experience that they have, but also you have to kind of ground yourself in your own. These are my deal breakers. These are my priorities and just do your best to hold on to that. But thank you so much, Kenny, for taking this time. I really appreciate it. This was really interesting. I think there's a lot for all of us to learn, even if we don't take the self-employed or community building path. I think a lot of these lessons hold true. So thank you again for taking time being in this space with me. Um, and I hope people got a lot out of it. I, I definitely did. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Miriam. I have really appreciated the time and conversation for always. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> As always, thank you all for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, let your friends know about this podcast. If you have any questions or feedback or ideas for us, feel free to email me directly at Miriam at secondday.org. That is M-A-R-I-A-M at second day. That's spelled out with two D's dot org. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. The Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast is brought to you by Second Day, a 501c3 organization fighting to make social impact careers more accessible to all by dismantling inequitable talent pipelines into mission-driven industries. To learn more, go to secondday.org. I'd like to thank my producer, Fia Luongo, for her incredible work in making this episode possible. Music used in this podcast is titled Blessed Time by Ketza and can be found on the free music archive under the Creative Commons license.